G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. This is the Footyology Audio Podcast Preview Round 7 Edition. A very good morning, evening, or middle of the night to you, wherever you are listening. We're here to talk about the events of the week and look forward to what should be a big weekend of footy. As I introduce my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Mark? Yeah, good, Rowan. Bit of a serious week in football. Matters off-field delving into matters most concerning. I can tell because you called me Rowan again and I called you Mark. It yeah. doesn't sound right. It's Rocco and Finey. Yes, no, serious today and uh, they are serious matters. All right, yeah, well, let's cut to the chase because I guess what we're uh, alluding to is uh, a former coach and a current coach. Well, the, well, the coaches that faced off in the 2009 Grand Final. Correct, correct. And we speak, of course, of Mark Thompson and Ross Lyon. So uh, you you start us off. Which one do we want to talk about first? Oh, Mark Thompson. Okay, yep. So what's your take on it? Well, obviously it's before the courts. So we have to be careful. Well, you're always careful because yeah. we... Well, don't... people on social media aren't careful with it, I'll tell you that. No, that's right. But we're not... Uh, we haven't been briefed on the full facts of the case, so it's not about discussing uh, the guilt. And, of course, the presumption at the moment is of innocence until somebody is found guilty in this country, which I think people on social media conveniently forget. But I was very interested to hear that police opposed bail. That was extraordinary. Yeah, bail well, was only set at $20,000, but... They opposed bail because they said that Mark Thompson was a flight risk because of his access to money. Oh, and he had a yacht. <laughs> no, well, well, they, a, they said that. That's not flight risk. That's a that's a, a sail risk. So, what? Uh, well, well, of course, well, flight beings just fleeing. Are we Gilligan's Island or something? <laughs> eh? Worried? I mean, I reckon you could sort of cover the exit points uh, with a yacht pretty easily, wouldn't you? Look, I. My primary emotion with it all is, is sadness. And, um, you know, we, we both know Bomber and uh, I've known him a long time. And, um, you know, he played and captained the club uh, I barrack for. So, you know, I, I've always enjoyed his company. But I guess I've said this in a few forums already. It's just a, a really sort of salient reminder, I suppose, about how... I don't know, easily people's lives can go off the rails. And I guess, I, I suppose I want to concentrate on the human aspect of this story. And, um, you know, I, I've I've had a sibling that was uh, became a drug addict and, uh, you know, he, he died essentially from his use of drugs. So I guess that makes you a bit more uh, sensitive to people who have drug issues. Now... The thing that struck me, I guess, is the people and on social media, the very um, black and white nature of how people see it. And they go, oh, well, yeah, users, of, of course that's sad. But traffickers, you know, throw the book at them. And 
whilst I don't disagree with that in principle, um, the line isn't always that clear between use and dealing because a lot of the users end up becoming dealers. Uh, look, I understand that, and that sort of is born out of the desperate need to fund their own habit. Yeah. But I would say in the case of Mark Thompson, if these charges are proven guilty, well, let's not use Mark Thompson again because this case is before the courts. But I'm sure that somebody with um, that earning capacity that he's had and, and the assets that he has would be less prone to be in the uh, that vicious cycle of uh, feeding your own habit and then having to resort having, you know, the, 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 not the normal pattern of things, but it's not uncommon to hear of people having been, having lost their job, having lost their primary residence, mm. having been quite rightly um, ostracised by their family unless they go and seek help, yep. either ending up surf couching or on the streets, no employment, turning to... Um, three forms of crime. Sorry, you just said yeah. surf couching. Oh, couch surfing. <laughs> no, that's funny. <laughs> couch surfing. For, turning to three forms of criminal activity to fund their habit. And those three forms of activity are um, theft mm. in various guises, prostitution. Yeah. Obviously more common with female. And th- these are facts. Yeah. Uh, prostitution or prostituting themselves, of course, or um, trafficking in narcotics. Yeah. Now, I think that somebody with his, you know, even as recent as his time has been in football and his assets would be less exposed to that desperate measure than others would be. So, uh, no, no doubt. So no, I, have, the, I, I understand that... I have you, less pity for somebody yeah. living in a nice house doing that. Yes, and, and you're sceptical. I get that. I, I guess what I'm also getting at there is the, the way that drugs fry your brain. I mean, you you, yeah. you know, you... Poor judgment. Well, yeah, well not just poor judgment. No judgment. No sense. No moral um, compass. But poor judgment in the company that you keep, in, in the trust that you... Yep. The, the trust you... Um, give to people and this may well be a case of that of associating with and ultimately being duped or taken advantage by others as well which I I, and I don't know this but I I I just suspect that there's an element of that to it yeah again we don't know the facts but I I lean to that as well the other point I want to make with this and um, again I've made this in other forums is you know how like people in creative occupations often have these issues, you know, um, actors, musicians, comedians, yep. highly strung, uh, operating on the edge. I know people say, well, you know, like we haven't heard about other AFL coaches on the gear or, or dealing or, or whatever, but um, the thing I always felt about Bomber is he, he, you know, he's a very quirky individual as we know, but... He never expected to become an AFL coach. You know, he was an electrician and he set up his own business by the time he was 19 and um, that's where he was going to go. And I, I, I've had this discussion with him. When when he got into coaching almost by accident, when he was injured at Essendon in the twilight of his playing career, 
it tapped into some part of his brain or psyche that he didn't know existed. And it, and it, I think it became, had an addictive quality to it. And in Martin Blake's excellent uh, autobiography, Did With Bomber, you know, you, you really feel that, that the sense of loss he had without that. There is, and we know that footballers, when their career ends, there has definitely been a, a if for some, a void that is created, um, maybe not in terms of creativity, but definitely in terms of the spotlight. Yeah. And a number of footballers have turned to drugs. They've been quite public in those admissions. We've heard about players going into rehab. You know, I did uh, my understanding of all of this stems from years of doing radio with Gavin Krasiska. Yeah, who, who incidentally has bobbed up on Twitter about this and smacking down people left, right and centre. And he's good on you, Gav, if you're listening, because yeah, the, there is so much ignorance about it's this. Incredible amount of ignorance. It, it, very much Gavin is of the school of thought. Look, there's two main aspects in terms of when you talk about the very serious matter of, of addiction that Gavin is, and he's not just lived it, he's also qualified through uh, getting a a degree in drug counselling and now works in the field. So we're not talking about just somebody who walked the walk, but he's also studied the walk, so he can talk the talk. Mm. And he's very clear about a couple of things, and those things are that um, it is an illness, that needs to be treated. We're talking about full-blown addiction. I'm not sure whether yeah. this relates to Mark Thompson, but I'm sure the discussion started um, on social media to involve talk about addiction. So it needs to be treated like an illness because the behaviours of a true addict are so irreconcilable with normal behaviours that you can only describe it as a form of mental illness. Yeah. And... Uh, well, uh, it's chicken or the egg too because a lot of drug abuse... Begins with people with mental, mental problems. health problems. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And then the other one is there's two ways of dealing treating people. There's a, a thousand ways of treating people with addiction, but there's two schools of thought, and one is harm minimisation. Yeah, and the other is abstinence. Now, harm minimisation, Gavin does not believe in at all, and that is that it's better for a a let's say a heroin user. Um, to use less heroin and then use things like naltrexone or whatever it is, mm. but to to find alternatives, or in the case of an ice addict, to use less ice. Mm. He doesn't believe in that. He believes that it needs there needs to be a circuit Cold breaker, turkey. a circuit breaker. It needs to end. No gateway drugs, including alcohol, and a new life has to start. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I speak on his behalf because I know that he does belo- not believe in harm minimisation. Well, last point on this one, I, I guess our hope, surely everyone's hope is, you know, where whatever you think of Bomber, that having reached a low point, it could get lower, um, that becomes the event that will turn his life around because, geez, uh, you know, just to sort of think, well, this guy's here coaching a flag and then he's here, it's quite incredible. I mean, really. you've mentioned his coaching and, and the addictive nature, the, the element of coaching that is uh, connected, sort of can be compared to a, a an actor or a, muse, uh, a muso. How about the role 
and the stress placed on him by the Asada investigation. Oh, no doubt, huge. And and uh, I should have mentioned that before, actually. So you've got you know you've got three events. You've got um, you know the sort of souring of the relationship with Geelong and the Ablett stuff that sort of went along with that, and then you've got this sort of sudden switch of thing into the Essendon job, which became something completely different because of the Asada um, stuff. Then you've got him believing in his mind, incredibly, you know, sincerely, that he was harshly dealt with. Um, Was there also a marriage breakdown? Yeah. Well, no, his first marriage broke down a long time before at Geelong. His second marriage, unfortunately, has now broken down as well. But then he um, he goes and coaches Essendon for a year after really being you know begged to do the job yes. and gets them to a finals. And then it's sort of see you later because Hurdy's coming back. So that compounds the, I guess, yep. sense of uh, injustice. So you've got all these things sort of stockpiling on each other to a predisposition that's already a bit you know, sort of uh, not quite right. And um, it, it, it's sad. Look, we've got to move on because yep. a couple of other things we need to talk about. So Ross Lyon. Um, now, again, this has been quite complex in a way because you've got an incident which wasn't, we, you know, hasten to add, not sexual assault. And I've seen a few people sort of make that mistake. Um, inappropriate, inappropriate behaviour, I think, was the... Yep. The charge, um, but the other complication here is that you're talking about an incident that was sort of five, maybe six years ago, yes. and there was a respect and um, responsibility policy in place, and it had been since 2005. But it was a shell of the policy; it's become only in the last 12 months. So, my point on the line thing, and again, not excusing his comment to the woman at the centre of it, but how do you apply sort of to the harshness of today's policy to an event that happened five years ago. I don't think you can apply, um, and they haven't because there was a confidential payment, but we're sort of, people in discussing it are saying, well, what about Sam Powell Pepper? Well, Sam Powell Pepper happened in the last month. This thing happened five years ago, and I know it's not that long ago, but the policy is markedly tougher now than it was then. Okay, I'm glad that you've taken up the uh, time lapse and discussing the sort of nuts and bolts of the policy as compared to the Sam Powell Pepper, because I want to talk, take it from a different angle, and that is um, sort of the state of mind and the what Ross Lyon did, what was he thinking type element, which I'm not saying, I, I don't want to overlay any policies of the AFL or any greater policies of employment that currently exist. Mm. Just what on earth is going on? This is his first year at Fremantle we're talking about? Or 2012 was, yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a... I, I just think, you know, <clears throat> you come into a, a job, somewhat controversially, you arrive in town, you're there, not really, not just to coach the Fremantle Football Club, but he's come in, he's come in really to change the Fremantle Football Club, to change their mentality, Mm. to change really the culture of the club. Mm. And it's pretty clear that he starts doing that on the field. You know, they become a more serious club. Yeah, well, I made finals first year. Correct. So I'm just 
shocked that it doesn't that this happened in that climate where Ross would have been there, not as he was when he started at St Kilda, an unproven coach making his way in the competition. He came there as a major figure of change that should have been a serious individual above this sort of behaviour the minute he parked his car in the car park. Mm. And, you know, I just everything I know of Ross Lyon, this doesn't marry up with him. And I'm not saying it didn't happen because it did happen. And it just shows that you don't really know everything about a person from not even a superficial level because I had contact with Ross and knew Ross. Uh, I don't know Ross, but knew of his work and knew him through St Kilda probably more intimately than other coaches. But just it, I'm very surprised that it happened in a year where he was there to make such quantum change at Fremantle. Uh, that's a good point. And, you know, the responsibility starts from the top down, doesn't it? I, I'll say this, that I don't know how widespread they were, but there were, there were always stories about the culture at St Kilda, even when he was coaching there and they had incredible success yeah, on the stemming field. from your newspaper and Caroline Wilson. Uh, they were, it, was, it was a fit-up job, honestly. You know, I, part, part of her... her how, how, to yeah. Say what you're talking about. So what are you talking about? Oh, well, she, she went through a great period. Stephen Milne and... She went through a period assigning St Kilda as a club with little or no respect you know, for women and, and a culture of sexualising matters. And yeah. So one of you know it was always trotting out three two or three examples. Yeah. And it started with Andrew Lovett. Well, that's an Essendon cultural problem. He yeah. beat us in Kilda training once in his life yeah. and got told he was overweight. Mm. He hadn't been back on the track or at the club when this incident occurred. And they terminated him immediately. Correct. Why would that be a St Kilda issue? No, I, sorry, I should have clarified that. What I'm but that talk- was a major plank in, in the fit-up, that, that's what I used to call it, of St Kilda being a club where there was scant respect for women or sexual, sexual deviancy was rampant. I agree with that. The stories I'm alluding to, uh, I'll just say this, yep. didn't involve players. They involved officials. Okay, okay well... I'm not privy to those. No, and yeah, it's it's dangerous ground. Look, all this we've just talked about is pretty serious stuff, and and you know nothing is black and white in those matters. So uh, pretty serious discussion on both these. I, I got a bit excited then, didn't I? No, I thought remembering I, the age and the yeah. No, well, good on you. I mean, but it, if there were stories about uh, off field, to be honest, that's the first I've really heard of them. But knowing the people involved, maybe not impossible. If that was the underlying reason why somebody wrote articles, but they didn't feel that they could name those names... Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. No, I, I'm not connecting uh, okay. Caroline Wilson with what I just said okay. in any way, shape or form for a number of reasons. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, or, that's a good lead into Media Watch. It is, it? it is, and uh, we're going to get there now. On Footyology, Media Watch... Nice music for the, this segment too, because it sounds a bit seedy and a bit like, ooh, this is going to be a bit controversial. And um, Invariably it is. <laughs> I know that controversial, but uh, people, there is a very strong interest from outside about uh, the football media. The first one I want to talk about today um, is, and it's topical, it's about this narrative about the game being in crisis, the game itself in trouble. Congested footy, low scores, etc., etc. Now, 
I, I wouldn't say the game is in trouble. I think that's very sort of uh, uh, over the top. I do think there are some issues surrounding the game. What struck me this week, though, is that these issues surrounding the game are absolutely no different to what they were this time last year or the year before or probably the last, I'd say, the last five years. Why has this become a story this week? And this is the interesting thing, finally, and it's often difficult to work out why something becomes a story. But my tracking of this story is that we had a mediocre round of footy. Jeez, I've seen worse. There was still some... Collingwood Richmond was a pretty good game. There was some good footy played. There were some pretty boring games. On Friday night, Bulldogs-Carlton was ordinary. There were a couple of others that weren't great. But... It's funny how sometimes someone in the media can throw up a, uh, a theme, you know, an opinion piece or whatever, and it takes off. And so, a, a, another time, a couple of weeks earlier or later or whatever, someone else or the same person even can throw up a narrative and it doesn't stick because there's other things going on or people have got other agendas. So this gaming crisis thing, there's been a lot of stuff written about it over the last couple of years, but... My and my read on this was that uh, Mark Robinson did his the tackle on a Monday morning last Monday morning about you know is the game in trouble and for whatever reason maybe there wasn't enough else around it sort of caught on so it gets discussed on a couple of radio forums and uh, then say on Fox Footy you know well I, I don't know if they discussed on three sixty but they I presume they did. And then uh, someone producing a radio show goes, uh, I'm not saying this did happen, but this is how it happens. Someone producing a radio show goes, geez, we, we haven't got much. You know, What about, look at the papers. I hear this is game in trouble. That's a good talkback topic. Let's get that going. So people weigh in. There's never any shortage of people saying the game's stuffed or whatever. You know that. I know that. We've done enough radio. And that's how it sort of became a thing again. But if you look at the numbers, and I did, Yesterday, um, yesterday in this case being Wednesday, and uh, contestable numbers, tackle numbers, uh, clearance numbers, scoring is all about the same as it was last year or the year before that. Now, having said that, those numbers for me are worrying, particularly the scoring thing, because um, at the moment the average points per side is 84, which is the lowest we've had since 1968. But the last uh, four years as a group are the lowest scoring years we've had since 1970. So that is, of course, a concern. So I'm not saying this isn't a story. It's just why is it a story now as opposed to um, round 17 last year? All right, first of all, get ready for stories to be not bigger but discussed over and over more to make it appear as though... You know, it's it's pebble in a pond sort of thing. The ripples are getting bigger and bigger. And I'll explain why. And much of it, sort of, certainly in Melbourne, Victoria, has to do with SEN. Now, this is my former radio station. Obviously, some major changes at the end of last year. And this is putting aside the fact that I'm not there anymore. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But what they also did was they got rid of the new management removed about 30 or 40 contributors from the station, many of whom had their own hours each week. So the station has a very different profile, and it now operates not dissimilarly to Fox Sports with Fox Sports News. 
And yeah. Fox Sports News basically on the hour, every hour, um, runs the stories from various sports. And if there's a breaking story, that'll be added in and one will drop off. So it's a, a rotating news service, an hourly service. Now, SN in the past, if there was a story like this, it might have been taken up probably by KB, would have taken it up in the morning with his um, relentless call for less interchange as a way to improve it. Um, and really by the time I got to myself in evenings, I would have said it's been done, but would have had enough content to fill the program and not have to touch it. The situation at SEN now is that this story, any story, will be discussed every single hour. There'll be talk back, and it's the only way that the programs can meet their time fill is to really do the Fox Sports news of just going over the news of the day on a sort of hourly rotational basis. So it's been drummed home on 1116 SEN. If it makes the Fox Sports News rotation, with a bit of a quote here or there, then if you own Fox, if you have Fox into your home, uh, pardon me, cable TV, that's pay TV, isn't it? Cable's are long gone. Then it'll be drummed home every hour there. And before you know it, the dull drumbeat is a constant a constant one, and I think there's a changing face in sports radio in Melbourne because of that, and expect more of it. Yeah, no, I think that's a valid point. So you, you mentioned SEN. I would say a, a, a bigger issue and one with more ramifications beyond sport, and it's been a discussion point in this country for over 20 years, is that whole thing about diversity of media. And this is where the News Corp monolith... I think is, um, you know, one of the ramifications of that is. So I mentioned, like, Robbo writing something in the Herald Sun. Well, yeah, that's going to get a run on 360 on Fox Footy. News Corp owns Fox Footy. But, but leaving aside that story for a moment, you get um, the same narrative peddled through the same media organisation. And the one thing about newspapers, and again, this is absolutely no slight on... Robbo or anyone, but newspapers now are finding it harder and harder to have the same clout they did with a single story, certainly. So I think the way they have to do it is a series or what we call, and it's more political, but you know, campaigning journalism. So they adopt an issue and say, okay, we're, we're driving this issue and we're going to continue. And the Herald Sun have done that a lot in the last years that with things like the CFA stuff, um, the rorts for votes thing recently. So it tends to be at the front of the paper. And the Age sort of, in a way, started this back in the... Um, oh, actually, they didn't really start. You know, one of the first campaign uh, campaigning journalism... Uh, episodes. So this campaigning journalism, it's like serialising a story. So yeah. You, so you've read it one day and you're going to look at the paper the next day and, and see, even in the headline banner or, or on the stands, oh, more about what I read yesterday. That was interesting. I'll buy yes. the latest installment. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, it's, so the campaign isn't so much a single story. It's sort of like a whole theme. And it can be a really great thing. And, and I sh- Two, the first one I remember was the Herald Sun, uh, the Sun News Pictorial did this back in 1970, was declare war on 1034. 
And in 1970, the Victorian road toll was 1,034, which is just, you know, it's a fifth of that now, a quarter of that now. Um, and they began a campaign about um, seatbelts and, and, and pushed and pushed and pushed. And uh, there was no blood alcohol limit. So those two things have come in and we've seen, you know, we save 800 lives a year as a result of that. I think um, the age did one about, someone did one about cleaning up the Yarra. So these things can be very that good. Going? Oh, right. <laughs> it's still brown. Um, uh, but that's the sediment, I'm told, um, in certain parts. But so it can be a good thing. You know, I'm not just saying this in a negative sense, but back to our initial theme here. Um, I think really now, particularly in footage, I'm finding with football media now, there is so much of it, it's almost impossible to take it all in. I don't think anyone has the same level of clout that they did, and we've spoken about this in this segment already. So I think that, you know, you have to really go for the jugular with stories you think are strong. And uh, to be honest, I didn't see this in the print edition, but it certainly got a good run online, and it had a reaction. So that that tactically has been a good thing to do. But it's just interesting the way in another week when there was a lot more, you know, if there was more news about or whatever, that might have been written by someone but not necessarily followed up. But it was no less valid a story. Back to the actual story of the game being in crisis. Um... Well, this is media watch, but yeah, go on. Yeah, so you want to no, talk there, about... No, it is. I, just back to that actual story. So I was able to pull another article, and it was at the end of a football season, and it pointed out four major elements in the game of Australian rules football that were of grave concern you know, to people who wanted to see the sport flourish. And they were a lack of respect for umpires, and umpires are simply not being respected. I reckon I know where this is going. Yeah, go on. Gambling on football. Yep. Which was out of hand. Yep. And the rolling malls or the, the congestion in the game that made it difficult for fans to identify one team from the other and reduce the game to a form of rugby. Okay, can I have a guess when that was published? Just remember I said that there were four things wrong with the game, but yes, guess when it was published? 1925. 1891 <laughs> in the Australasian. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I'm a huge fan of Mark Penning's four volumes on the history of Australian football. Yeah. So, so what was the fourth thing? So those three things were of major concern. Yeah. And I think all three are in ways relevant today. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been able to find a solution to the fourth problem. What was it? The number of fans that had passed away because of pneumonia <laughs> contracted from standing in the, on the terraces during rainy winters. Well, that only didn't. And that only Weezer. that only ceased to become a problem about the nineteen nineties. <laughs> they identified that over a hundred fans had perished from influenza and pneumonia as a direct result from watching. The VFA in uncovered conditions. Is that right? Yeah. I bet that's because they didn't use leeches as an attempt. I'm fascinated by the use of leeches as a medicinal aid finding. And I know influenza and, and uh, colds and whatever don't involve any lesions to the skin, but I still reckon had they popped a few leeches on, those people would have been all right. I think these this 1891 <laughs> post-dated the under the belief that the human body was made up of four different humours and 
that the thought center of the brain was somewhere located somewhere near the heart. The thought the thought center of the body wasn't the brain, yeah. but it was located somewhere between the heart and the sphincter. I've, I've got to drag out this story. About ten years ago, on the age we did. Um uh, we had a panel assembled to vote on the top 50 players of all time, and I chaired the panel. Eric Leach? Uh, very good. It was Tom Hafey, Ron Barassi, Bob Davis, um, Ken Hands, and Ronnie Carter. It was like it was, it was a real yeah. highlight for me. It was a great discussion. But we, when we were talking about great players, I think um, something came up by the by about... Oh, it was Gordon Coventry, I think, who played in one game after he had some shocking blood poisoning or something through the dye in his socks had seeped into... And and there was this graphic description in the Encyclopedia of Players about how it had been treated or somewhere. And I'm sitting there reading it out to these guys and they're all visibly... All these tough guys are visibly wincing. And I said, you know, they had to disinfect it with pure, you know, bleach and uh, something else. And then I just threw in at the end, and leeches... And they all went, oh, leeches, you know, and I, I let them on for about two minutes and I said, no, I just made that up. <laughs> that's, that's very good. Now, a couple of things on that. Yeah. That's a very interesting meeting. Oh, it's um, great, yeah. We can talk about that another day. Yeah, I, I bet you that Ken Hands did not nominate Jim Francis. Uh, not from memory, no. Why did they have a bit of history? Oh, Ken Hands and Jim Francis were two champions at Carlton. Yeah, I think one may be captain, the other coach, or they, they had a very close relationship, yeah. and they had a huge personal falling out. Wow! Jim Francis went to St Kilda to coach them, but it was one of the great rifts in the Carlton Football Club. And yeah, okay. So when would that have been? Mid, just after the Second World War. Yeah. Um, and and the other, you talk about sort of those serious illnesses and injuries back before the Second World War. So he killed out a great player called Fred Phillips or Flop. Yeah. Uh, he had a hair lip, but he was, he, but doesn't matter. He can have a hair lip and be a superstar. He was a fullback and he was an absolute champion, Fred Phillips. And he was appointed Hawthorne's first ever captain coach in the VFL. In 1925? Yep. Okay. But after the 1924 season, he took a tumble off his motorbike. He got a wound on his elbow, not serious, but he became septic and he had passed away before the start of the 25 season. How old was he? Late 20s. Wow. No leeches. Maybe early 30s. No, that was a pretty serious matter though. You know I mean? You know, he was going to be their first captain coach and... Um, aren't, we, aren't we... He took a tumble off a, a bike. It was still training the team. Yeah. But it became septic and he died. Yeah, your grasp on footy history is amazing. Now, uh, we, we've got to sort of move it along here, but do you want to talk about the topic you're going to bring up, yeah, or yeah, should we quickly, leave that for quickly. Okay, no, yeah, go quickly. on. Look, All right. I goes back a couple of weeks now. I was a guest of the footy show. Just you to, were? Just a little bit to air about St Kilda and their, and their travails. They were talking about the Carlton as well, weren't they? Yeah, about that's clubs right. struggling, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that Melbourne as well. It's funny, because the Carlton fan was a... A near centenarian, a wonderful woman, seen it all, and very optimistic, but upset. And they went to the Melbourne fan, and he said, no, nah, things are great. So they never went to him again. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't quite understand how TV worked. Yeah, right, yeah. But, you know, having worked in radio for a long time, and just, it's easy to sit back and, and bag 
Eddie and Bag Sam and whatever. But there's a lot that happens on TV. First of all, it's live TV, which is very tough to do. Mm. I mean, we've done a lot of live radio. You can make a mistake. We've done live TV. Yeah, we've done live TV. You can back the truck. I'm still doing live TV. <laughs> That's right, you are. Well, you'll, you'll understand, but maybe the listeners won't, that live TV, especially on the footy show, where the demands are very high, uh, when they're not being filmed on, when they're not on screen, the producer's in Sam's ear. For, Sam's in his early 70s, mm. and he was being, there was much being demanded of him. Um, Harvey Silver was the four producer. Yeah. There'd be an inc- there was, they had the thing with the Greyhound. And it was going a bit slowly. So into Sam's cans, get over there, you know, inject some humour in it. And he so, has to rush over there, impromptu, no, not scripted. Yeah. And he turned the segment into quite a, quite a laugh riot. Yeah. You know, he started patting the dog. The dog got amorous with him. And it was... Yeah. You know, well, I just I just heard Shane Crawford just before we've done yeah. this interview because he's on the footy show tonight yep. Thursday, and he he did make the comment Sam's got his mojo back. Yeah, he was great. Okay. He was great. Eddie, powerful as well. People just have to realise that it's 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 not scripted. There's no take two. Stop that didn't work. It's all it all rolls. Uh, they have to integrate some footballers who are. Less than, you know, pulsatingly good TV talent. So they really have to G up those segments. And I just think that uh, when you go there and you maybe have an understanding of the mechanics of live broadcasting, Mm. you get a greater appreciation. So a big thumbs up to all those involved. And by the way, the footy show, which I never watched previously because I was on on-air broadcasting. So I haven't watched it for 15 years, and I don't watch now mm. because it's just not part of my TV Dice. diet. If people want it to be more footy, you know, there was no street talk. It was really a lot of football, a lot of panel discussion about football. Mm. Uh, less frippery than what had made it ingratiating to some. So, you so know, you're saying it's a it's, bit of a return to traditional values? It seemed to me to be a better product well handled by the team, including a man who's over 70. Yeah. I just want to say that. No, fair enough. And, and when, when you, uh, just a technical thing here, when, when you say they're in his ear saying get over there or whatever, you're talking about the earpiece, of Correct. course, which yeah. I, uh, through doing Mungrook, I've come to know now that is called the uh, IFB, I think. And, uh, or is it, hang on, I've done it again. I keep calling it the IVF because I can never. <laughs> so, so I haven't been fertilised with it, but it does go a long way into your ears, so it, it could feel like a form of fertilisation. All right, uh, that's enough for that segment this week. We've always got about two or three things left over that we're going to do the next week, but uh, I've jotted them down and we'll save them up for your uh, listening pleasure in subsequent weeks. Time to move on. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, you heard how it works, and uh, that's how we're going to do it. So, good round this week. Kicks off Friday evening down at the Cattery, Geelong taking on the Giants. Uh, really good game, this. Uh, good test for the Giants, and boy, have they got injury issues again. They can't get any luck with injuries. Uh, Jeremy Cameron and Brett Deledio now to miss, and they've both been really important players for them. Uh, at this stage, I think uh, still doubts about Green, Kelly. Uh, Cats have got heaps of injuries as well. They might have the most in the comp right at the moment and probably a factor, as good as Sydney's win was down there last week, 
probably a factor in that as well. Um, it's a bit of a must-win for the Cats, I reckon. If as as much as anything, because I think they'll lose that air of sort of invincibility at home if they lose a couple in a row down there. And and they were pretty good last week. That was a massive last quarter from the Swans. So they're not far off the mark. Don't get me wrong on the Giants. They've been pretty steady as well. I think there's a there's a bit more stability about them, a bit less sort of flashiness and a bit more substance about them, I think, which will hold them in good stead. But winning at Geelong, I don't care what happened last week, is still the toughest task in footy. I'm uh, going for the Cats. Just on the JWS team, probably a, a, a topic less discussed would have been, and this is one I don't think has been discussed at all in the media during the week, might have a huge say on the future of uh, the finals this year, is the GWS Giants discovered a ruckman last week. Tomlinson went head-to-head with Stefan Martin and was brilliant. So that could really be, later in the season, a big plus for the Giants. But in the short term, too many injuries. We're starting to see... They saw a kid last week you know, make his debut, Shipley. Yep, good. Um, he's a kid. If they're going beyond him... I think they might struggle to win it too long. I'm going to tip the home team. Okay, I'm going to throw second one to you, and it is the Bulldogs taking on the Suns at Mars Stadium in, uh, not on Mars, but in Ballarat, Saturday afternoon, 1.45. What happens? Well, it'll be confusing, isn't it? At Mars, in Ballarat, Suns, actually, they're losing two very important players. Lynch is out for at least a month, we know, with that, that knee problem that people were concerned could have been the big one. And Stephen May is out as well. Just means that they're heading down there with both ends of the field exposed. Day, he's been good, well done, coming back from that serious hip displacement that they thought might end his career. But there's not enough depth, I think, in forward or back replacements to cover those two losses. And the Bulldogs, I think we're now getting a more honest appraisal of the Bulldogs. They beat the Blues. I think they'll beat teams that are inferior to them and probably are inferior themselves to six or seven. So a comfortable win for the Doggies on Mars. Uh, Yeah, Suns, no chance without Lynch and May. Um, Bulldogs are zero for one uh, on Mars, um, having lost to Port last week. I think as a rule, they've tended to be more comfortable on Venus or Uranus. I had to. We had to do that. We did have to do that line. Isn't it? Um, yeah, Bulldogs comfortably. Uh, all right, Saturday afternoon, 2.10. Who'd have thought? Saturday afternoon, 2.10, MCG, Essendon, Hawthorne. Doesn't that say 1984, 1985, 40? It says another big crowd. Hopefully with the same result, but I've got my doubts. How big do you reckon the crowd will be? Uh, 50, high 50s. Yeah. Do you reckon football fans are now conditioned to not go at that time? Local footy? I really hope not. I reckon they are. Uh, I don't reckon that's a footy time anymore. I think there's more danger the Bomber fans might be conditioned not to go because <laughs> they're worried about what's going to happen because they stunk it up last week. They were terrible. Real issues with the midfield, I reckon, with Essendon. It just doesn't bat deep enough. It's not quick enough. Um, Hawks, yeah, got the job done pretty efficiently against the Saints, can really. I, can I tell you, except for St Kilda and maybe a couple of other teams, yep. every other team would have beaten Hawthorne in Tassie. They were there for the taking. The Hawks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I look, I saw Essendon play last week. As you know, I follow them pretty closely. Can't tip them in their 
present state. Having said that, they've got this recent history of winning the games they're not supposed to and not winning the ones they should. So uh, who knows? But uh, it's not beyond the realms, but couldn't tip Essendon on last week's form. So Hawks for me. Have to tip Essendon because you're 0-6 and six tipping Essendon. Oh, no. Essendon Thanks. for mine. Thanks for pointing that out. I'm tipping Essendon because you will be 0-7. and seven. Yeah. Sicily's a big in for the Hawks, though. He is, too. All right, uh, let's move on. Twilight game Saturday. Uh, oh, no, hang on. Six. I don't know. What? 6.35 East Coast time. West Coast. Uh, in Mars. West Coast taking on Port Adelaide at Optus Stadium. That's a good game. Oh, great game. They've yeah. had some interesting clashes in the past where West Coast have gone to Port Adelaide, to Adelaide, and you think they'd lose and they've won, and they've had a very big game a couple of years ago that was central to West Coast and Port Certainly West Coast making the finals. It was a really close-fought affair. And the final last year. Correct. So this game is far from obvious, and I'm going to tip probably what people would consider to be the upset in Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide have great drivers in their team that come out of the middle of the ground, and as good as uh, the likes of Shuey and Sheed have been, I actually think that these players are actually that skillful. We're talking about Boak, Sam Gray, mm. Robbie Gray, Ebert. They can actually work off Natanui. I think they're that smart of a midfield. So it is a bit of an upset, but I'm going to tip Port Adelaide. And you know what? I'm with you because I reckon they got their mojo back last week. That, that was a quality game, Port and North Melbourne. And uh, yeah, Very high contest. Yeah, yeah heavily contested ball. Yeah, no, no, I reckon the power are, are back in town. Look, I, I've tipped them to play off for the flag, so I've got to show a bit of faith in them. Not to decry the Eagles, I think they've been fantastic this year, but perhaps due for a due for a loss, and I think Port uh, need a decent scalp, and one on the road like that is perfect. I think they're good enough to win it, so I'm going for Port with you. Um, Saturday evening at the SCG. Now, this might be a better game than... People thought it might be a few weeks ago too. The Swans are coming off that fantastic win down at Geelong, taking on North Melbourne. Obviously, the Swans go in pretty uh, big favourites. The interesting thing here will be Sydney without Buddy proved last week that they're not a one-man team. I mean, those claims are always ridiculous, but the smaller forwards set up, I thought, really worked. It, it made made life difficult for the Geelong defence. You know, they went with Parker, Rowan, and Heaney. Started up there, Josh Kennedy back back on song with one of the great individual quarters against the Cats. North were pretty respectable against Port, but uh, look, the Swans are a better side. They're at home. They win. Can I just say, when I was a little kid, there was no game more off-Broadway than South Melbourne versus North Melbourne. Because both down the bottom of the ladder? Yeah, North... This is pre-Ron Barassi at North. Yeah, this is sort of 1973, so... It oh, been, there was It was, But it was year. his first year, but... Yeah. And there's something, obviously something in my brain that's a little bit different. And I remember looking, seeing a scoreboard that once said South Melbourne, North Melbourne, and mm. it, it was just so neat because there's five letters in the first names of both. And I just thought these... Was that G and H on the uh, scoreboard? You know, this was the actual scoreboard of the game oh, at, okay. at the lakeside, not lakeside, at Arden Street. Yeah. And I just, and I remember thinking to myself... Wouldn't it be wonderful one day if one of these teams played in the finals? 
careful what you wish for, Finey. <laughs> yeah. Because Jerome's killed it. Barely played in the finals. South had been in, or Sydney had been in 15 of the last 16. North had won a few premierships. Yeah, so I shouldn't, have felt, I shouldn't have felt all that sorry for them, should I? Well, the world But can, I just remember thinking, I remember thinking, will they ever play in finals, these odd little football teams? <laughs> Sydney for mine. Okay. Uh where are we going now? Adelaide Oval, uh, and that is Saturday evening also, and it's seven forty uh, East Coast time. And by the way, that West Coast port game is four thirty-five my time, as he reads his phone app. Um, Adelaide Carlton, uh, that could be absolute carnage, couldn't it? Let's be honest. When you say four thirty-five my time, it's four thirty-five in Perth. No, it's not. No, it's really? two thirty-five in Perth. Oh, two thirty-five in Perth. Yeah, yeah. Odd. Yeah, no, it's, well, that is the Saturday twilight game, of course, if you're in Perth. It's yeah. not twilight, it's the middle of the day. I went to a two o'clock game in Perth on a Saturday once. Uh, how recently? 20 years ago. Yeah, okay. Uh, remember when with Mark Fine we'll be coming on after <laughs> this podcast. That's just odd. It I'll was probably be on it was, as Even well. then it was considered a very unusual time. Yeah. Uh, Adelaide Carlton, I reckon uh, every chance this could be really ugly. Look, the Blues... For where they're at, and there's been a lot of talk about the rebuild, but you know they they are not in a position where they can afford to be without their best players. They're without Cruiser, they're without um, Murphy. Gibbs went home, uh, and Doherty's been out all year. They're they're just there's not enough there, and uh, I think the Crows um, back on song. You know, got got business like win over Gold Coast last week, as you'd expect. Uh, I think winning in Sydney sort of knock them back into shape. I think their midfield's batting a bit deeper. Paul Seisman's having a wonderful year. Cam ellis yolman has been a bit of a revelation. Uh, Walker won't play, so a bit of a worry. But, yeah, I think I'll do a bit of a number on the Blues Crows easily. Yeah, look, um, Carlton are 0 and 6. They look destined to be 0 and 7. And I think that I'm going to tip Adelaide in this game. The, the Adelaide Crows have been... Look, you've got to say impressive in the best part, given how many players they've had out. But they lose Walker and I think another player. Anyhow, they'll, they'll lose a couple for this game and probably well served to be playing an undermanned Carlton. And just on all those Carlton players that are no longer at the club, because Carlton supporters are really sort of bluing about the fact that they've lost so many players and it comes home to roost against Adelaide when you have to line up against... Maybe not this week, but you have to line up not not just against Gibbs, but against Sam Jacobs and Betts as well. Of all the players that they've lost, the one player that they didn't have to lose that I reckon really would have complemented their midfield and worked brilliantly alongside Cripps is Mitch Robinson. Yes. And there's no reason they should have lost him. No. Well, that was sort of one of those cultural, you know, sort of... Um... Yeah. And, and do you want a bit of an exclusive? Yeah, quick. There's some off-field unrest at Carlton and... I mean, this is a major exclusive. There's the formation of a pretty powerful group looking to unseat the current the current um, board. The current board, oh, not yeah. again. Not Tommy Elliott again. I'm not saying who it is, but it's fairly okay. powerful. All right, uh, we uh, all right. We might touch on that again next week, uh, depending on whether that narrative is picked up by other media organisations for you. <laughs> um, Sunday, uh, 1.10pm, uh, Richmond taking on Fremantle at the MCG. Oh, Tiger fans, bit of deja vu going on there. Oh, Monday out of the last centre clearance, kicks a goal off from a siren. 
and uh, we're all laughing about the Tigers uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And then, of course, they don't lose a game after those three in a row they lost by a kick and go on to win a flag. So they did have the last laugh. Um, I thought the Tigers were great last week. Now, Collingwood were good too. And I should have brought this up in Media Watch. How does a side win a game by seven goals, as Richmond did, and then all these stories become about how great Collingwood were? That means that Richmond's getting the job done very efficiently, which they are. Dockers have been impressive this year too, lost no honour at all in a fantastic derby, but I think this is one MCG clash against Fremantle that Richmond will win. Yeah, I mean, Richmond at the MCG have a modus operandi that is now seemingly impossible for opposition teams to side, you know, to, to sidetrack, and that is... Do not worry, Richmond fans, if at half-time the scores are level because against most teams, unless if Freo doesn't come to play, they'll get thrashed. But if they do come to play, it'll be hotly contested ball and seemingly a, a tight contest until Richmond release Martin into a more offensive role halfway through the third quarter. And basically what becomes an arm wrestle then becomes an avalanche. So Richmond have ways of playing at the G and one of them is not losing. So they win. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, St Kilda takes on Melbourne at Etihad Stadium, 3.20 Sunday afternoon. Uh, oh, you take the light here, sorry. No, no worries. Uh, thanks. Or do you want me to take it back again? No, thank you. Okay, go. Why, do, why should you do five <laughs> well, in a row? Um, St Kilda have been, in the past, the masters of Melbourne, and, of course, Melbourne in the past have been Dunces at Etihad Stadium. That is all. That is now fish and chip wrappers for both of those clubs. And Max Gorn has the absolute hand over St Kilda when he plays. He's in brilliant form. Hickey will prove. Actually, Hickey about two or three years ago famously took him on and beat him, and St Kilda got the last win that they've had against Melbourne. But Melbourne too strong. I think no Hogan this week. Because uh... he's been very strong against St Kilda. So wait for the final teams to be named and uh, any glimmer of hope St Kilda has. And they will again be competitive. But the problem with St Kilda is terribly inaccurate in front of goal. Not a lot of belief when it comes to winning games. And Melbourne, if they lost this one, that would be a headline. So I'm tipping Melbourne. I'm just wishing you hadn't said that name because now all I've got going through my head is Hogan. Every time I say Hogan, you say that. I know. I can't, that's the way my stupid brain works. Um, yeah, got to go for the Ds. They they weren't great against Essendon in the first half, but their second half was sort of a return to form. And the Eddie Head thing, they lost 22 in a row. Um, they've now won four of their last five at Eddie Head. Yeah, so they, they uh, having, having thrown off the psychological shackles, they are... Making hay while the sun doesn't shine at Eddie Head Stadium. Very clever. That's not bad. That's something. That's the sort of thing you would have said. I'm going for Melbourne. All right. Round seven finishes up with Brisbane taking on Collingwood at the Gabba, 4:40 p.m. Um, I'm going to do this in a couple of words. Uh, Collingwood comfortably. I'm tipping the upset. I'm tipping Brisbane. Really? Well, look, they're Norton six, and it just strikes me as. Collingwood's had sort of look. They've been in a in a funk for the best part of two two and a half years. Mm. It, it that's, has, a, that's a big funk. Yeah, that's like a twelve inch remix funk. It's a grandmaster funk. <laughs> yeah. But the the truth is, 
not all problems have dissipated. It's not all plain sailing for Collingwood. And I just think that Brisbane at Norton 6 doesn't quite tell the tale. I'm going for a major upset. I'm going to tip Brisbane. That's brave. That's brave. You heard it first here on Footyology. Mark Fine is tipping Brisbane. Look, uh, and I'll tell you one of the reasons. Dane Beams, I thought, was great last week uh, against GWS. And he's playing against his old club. He's a man of great pride. Yep. And I think the captain will have a great game. I think we've both got a man crush on Dane Beams. Yeah, I love him. And just, do you remember Super Kick at halftime of the reserves finals at, out at Waverley? Sun Kick. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Lawrence Lawrence Coston would host it. Yeah, it was brilliant. And um, the kid Wayne Harms won it one year. Yeah, and the kid that won it, he'd interview them, and they'd say, "Who's your tip for the main game?" And they go, "Melbourne, yeah. uh, Geelong." And he go, "He said Geelong, everybody." Yeah. <laughs> That's what Mark Fine. He said Brisbane, everybody. What a stupid <laughs> segue that was into our final segment on Footyology. Never again. All right, you heard. Something that uh, we're just shaking our heads about and we, we make a solemn vow never to repeat. And mine finally is, uh, I've been sitting in the outer a bit lately, having been freed from my age responsibilities. And, and you haven't contracted pneumonia? No, I haven't, because mainly it's been under the roof at uh, Etihad Stadium. Anyway, I've had reserve seats as an Essendon member for 38 years now. Anyway, um, so I've been sitting in our seats at Etihad a couple of times this season, and uh, I'll tell you what, never again am I going to sit on the seat next to the aisle because I don't know what's happened to people's bladders and their stomachs over the last 30 years, finally, but in my day when I was sitting in the Windy Hill Reserve seats, you sat down, you watched a quarter of footy, and then if you need to go to the toilet or get something to eat, you didn't. It's just a passing parade of people up and down the bloody aisle. And it, like, you try to be understanding about it, but fair dinkum. Like, some people got up and down, like, three times a quarter. What's the bloody game? Like, I know your side's struggling, but it's just, I, it was ridiculous. And to sum it up, never again. I'm not going to sit next to the aisle. So I have a look at people's frames going up and down, up and down the stairs. I want to watch the footy. Young people today, they've got a boil on their fanny. They can't sit down for longer than five minutes. Fanny being uh, behind. It's an American. Yeah, American, I know. Yeah, well, yeah. I just thought I'd better clarify that. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay. Never again will I, as a St Kilda supporter, turn to my fellow watchers and take a deep or exhale loudly as a St Kilda player storms on his own into the goal square to kick a goal. Because thanks to Josh Bruce last year and memory this year, oh, never yeah. is it a goal by a St Kilda player until the two fingers are pointed in unison. No, good what call. What a pair of absolute nongs. Which one was worse? See, people are saying memory's worse. Yeah, I thought it was. It can't be. That Nothing can beat Bruce's well, except memories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Very it's, just, good. it's impossible. I, I look at one and I think... This is my final word on it. Yeah. Give me a chimpanzee, yeah. half an hour, and three bananas, yeah. and I guarantee you I could get a chimpanzee to kick both of those guys. Well, I, I, was, I don't know why. The bananas are the pain. Well, I was pain just pain. thinking of a, a sort of a, an artistic comparison. You know, is it like, is it, it's like Shakespeare versus Dickens, but 
It's not because it's at the other end of the scale. So it's like you know, Harry versus neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, this reality show against that reality show. My kitchen rules versus my house rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. All right. On that suitably negative and um, grumpy middle age note, uh, we're winding it up. So thanks for your company. Uh, have a great weekend at the footy, everyone. May your team win. And finding any parting words, Connolly. Oh, very good. We'll see you next week.